I misjudged you, Mr. Prescott. The group repeats it. I'm sorry I misjudged you, Mr. Prescott. Someone hands me a flyer with some Chinese characters beneath the slogan, Never let spoken English become your limitation. The teacher intones another line. If you hate this job, why don't you quit? If you hate this job, repeats the group, with the furrowed concentration of a prayer meeting, why don't you quit? Jobs aren't that easy to come by, says the teacher. Jobs aren't that easy to come by, repeats the class. Less than a conversation, this seems more like boot camp, but no one's complaining. They are here to join the English-speaking world and will submit to whatever extraordinary adjustment it takes. After all, Mandarin, more than 1,000 million speakers, outnumbers the global figure for English by more than two to one, and the marketing of China's quest for English suggests that even the Chinese recognize it as a little eccentric. One of the more popular ways of learning English in China is through a course entitled Crazy English, where the emphasis is on learning to speak the language before writing it down. To shout loud, you learn. But the process is not as bizarre as one might think, and the way that the English language has travelled and changed through time and space throws up many examples of contemporary craziness. Globalization is a word that first slipped into its current usage during the 1960s. And the globalization of English and English literature, law, money and values is the cultural revolution of my generation, before and after the credit crunch. Combined with the biggest IT innovation since Gutenberg, it continues to inspire the most comprehensive transformation of our society in five hundred, even a thousand years. This is a story I have followed, and contributed to in a modest way, ever since I wrote the BBC and PBS television series The Story of English, with William Cran and Robert McNeil in the early 1980s. When Bill Gates was still an obscure Seattle software nerd, and the latest cool invention to transform international telephone lines was the fax, we believed we were providing a snapshot of the English language at the peak of its power and influence, a reflection of the Anglo-American hegemony. Naturally, we saw our efforts as ephemeral. Language and culture we knew are in flux. Any attempts to pin them down would be antiquarianism at best, doomed at worst. Besides, Some of the experts we talked to believed that English, like Latin before it, was already showing signs of breaking up into mutually unintelligible variants. The story of English might turn out to be a last hurrah. We were, of course, dead wrong. The global power and influence of Anglo-American language and culture, in the broadest sense, was about to hit another new high. When the Cold War ended, after the Berlin Wall came down and once the Internet took off in the 1990s, there was an astonishing new landscape to explore and describe. Sometimes during these years, the spread of Anglo-American culture seemed like the fulfillment of the ambition expressed by America's founding fathers to play a role among the powers of the earth, derived, as they put it, from the laws of nature. The world had become a planet composed of some 193 countries, all enjoying a greater or lesser familiarity with English and Englishness. Was this the end of Babel? A hundred years ago, one description of this phenomenon might have been Anglo or Americophilia, but that will not wash today. Anglo-American culture has so many contemporary faces. It can conjure up elderly gentlemen of Germanic demeanour in brogues and tweed jackets, 
or a certain kind of American wasp taking tea and crumpets in Fortnum and Mason. Or it can be found in the angry banlieues of Paris, where, echoing the universal tongues of rap music and football, many of the kids are called Steve, Marquis, Brittany, or even Kevin. Again, it can convey the enthusiasm for English of, for example, DJ Static, a.k.a. Mike Lai, a Montreal rapper who came to Canada from Hong Kong as a boy of eleven and learned English by repeating the lyrics of hip-hop songs. Or it can describe the excitement of English-language students in Japan who, in the spring of 2009, were filmed by the BBC solemnly repeating extracts from the speeches of Barack Obama as part of their training. There is also the demotic energy of English in, for instance, contemporary Los Angeles, which is both the multicultural capital of Hispanic California and, simultaneously, the headquarters of a global movie business, the American Dream Factory. Cross the Pacific.